Hey, it's Jed Hearn, host of Wizards, Warriors, and Words. If you're enjoying the writing advice on this show, you might like my new podcast, The Jed Hearn Show, where every week I share the best fantasy writing advice that I've learned from publishing three fantasy novels and a best-selling video game. There's over 12 episodes that you can listen to right away, including my top 10 fantasy books of all time, how to make fantasy names that don't suck, two rules that make writing effortless, and my complete summaries of Brandon Sanderson's and Neil Gaiman's writing classes, and much more. Check it out by searching for The Jed Hearn Show in your podcast app. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of Siege of Trevelin, and I'm joined by my only other co-host for today, Rob J. Hayes. Hello, I'm Rob J. Hayes, author of the War Eternal series, and I'll just throw some books around, books. Okay, that just froze for me weirdly, but I think it should have recorded and uploaded it fine, so we'll yeah, see what that sounds like. froze to me as post. well. But... That is bizarre. All right, it's off to a rough start, but today we're going to be talking about <laughs> Rob's latest release, uh, Sins of the Mother, the fourth book in the War Eternal series, um, which is one of my favorite fantasy trilogies I've read in recent years. Rob's holding it up now. It's a very lovely looking cover by friend of the show, Felix Ortiz. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the original trilogy, which Rob wrote a few years ago. So I'm excited to get into this book and to chat about it today. Uh, Rob, for people who aren't familiar with maybe the original War Eternal series or just the whole series as a whole, how would you sort of describe that thing in a nutshell? Um, I tend to uh, describe it as a sort of a dark, um, a dark twist on the coming of age uh, fantasy, basically, because it, it's all about um, a young girl called, uh, well, she starts as a young girl, I guess, in book one, um, called the Scara Helsine and her uh, rise to the title of Corpse Queen. Um, which is obviously very metal. Um, and look, look, in this one, she's even sitting on the corpse throne, which is a throne of corpses. Nice. It's so metal. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a dark, a dark uh, twist to that sort of coming of age. I kind of like to think of it as the uh, the anti name of the wind, because uh, in name of the wind, you have Koth, uh, who uh, he, he's just constantly bigging himself up and saying, oh, I did all these absolutely amazing things. I'm the best. And then uh, in The War Eternal, you have Eska going, I'm a horrible person. I did this shitty thing. Um, and she doesn't really lie quite so much. <laughs> so. <laughs> that is a pretty accurate description. Yeah, kind of similar to Name of the Wind. It's first person, so you really get inside her head. Her head is sometimes not the most pleasant place no. to be. So 
that and it's it's kind a, of written from well narrated uh, from the future. It's it's an older Eska looking back on her her life, um, starting in in along the razor's edge where she's she's in prison. She's in the pit, which is an absolutely horrible prison to uh, to be trapped in. Yes. An underground uh, mining cavern, essentially. And, uh, yeah, it's every bit as horrific as it sounds. Um, yeah, so what kind of... Uh, so, basically, just to give a bit of the backstory of this, you wrote the first three books um, over the course of... Was it a year and a half or so? And then you rapid released them, like, one book a month. Uh, was yes. that correct? Yeah, I, I wrote... Let's see. Uh, Along the Edge was 2016, the end of 2016. Lessons Never Learned was 2017, and then 2017 again because it sucked and I had to rewrite it. And From Cold Ashes Risen was 2018. Uh, and then, yeah, I released all three in 2020. Uh, in, there was basically two months between them. Um, first one was March, second one April, third one May in a rapid release schedule. And then I figured, you know what? I should probably get to write in the fourth one at some point. So I did. And I'm currently writing so the fifth one, the fifth and final one. Go... Oh, nice. Fifth and final. It's mm. a strange structure to me. Like, and I'm curious to hear you talk about that. The fact that it's like trilogy first and then two other books that are coming on at the end of that. What made you decide to split it up in that way? Um, so I, I always intended them to actually be a trilogy and a duology, basically, because there's it's okay. kind of two different uh, times. There's a, they follow a very strict timeline, um, and the first three books are sort of set over the course of I think it's something like three or four years, and then there's a big time skip, and then the the, uh, the fourth book is takes place twenty years after the events of book three. Um, so originally I thought like ah, I'll have them as a, a a trilogy and then a duology but the problem is like it doesn't really make sense reading the fourth book unless you've read like the other three to be honest because they do follow on directly uh from from those events so i just thought well rather than having it as a separate trilogy and a duology i'll just i'll have them as book four and book five but they are kind of like a a new chapter in esker's life almost um and dealing very much with it's an interesting way of structuring it. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it is, and it, it, it kind of isn't. In, in many ways, if you look at someone like uh, Joe Abercrombie, who writes a lot of books in the same world, you know, he has his, his, his first trilogy, and then he's got a trilogy of standalones, and then he's got another trilogy. So it's kind of the same thing, except I just decided not to split them up. I just decided to keep them all under one series banner. Did you find it kind of uh, like refreshing to take a break from the series, go away and write some other stuff and then come back afterwards? Because oh, I know absolutely. like you definitely <laughs> had a lot of frustration with writing yeah. the series the first time around. So it's was kicked that my part ass. of the reason for the skip as well? Yeah, this series has absolutely kicked my ass. Um, so I kind of needed it. Uh, it's, it's weird. Like um, I needed to take a break from um, the world and from writing in Esker's head. Uh, especially after the first sort of trilogy, because it's very it's very intense writing in that deep first person um, perspective where you're you're literally putting yourself in the mindset of that character. Um, yes, it's a very intense way to be, especially with someone as um, 
scarred and broken and anxious and depressed as Esco often is. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely needed a break. Uh, and I think from the end of from Cold Ashes Risen, I have written four other books before I got back to it. So wow, yeah. Um, getting back into no five five books. Four or five. Anyway, getting back into the mindset of Esker uh, after that sort of a break was quite difficult, to be honest. But I think I got there in the end. Have I frozen? Uh, no, you... Yeah, some one of us froze. I'm not sure whose it is. This is weird. <laughs> it keeps freezing. So I might have to do some weird... It's because we're on literal opposite sides of the world right now. Technology. Yeah, the Wi-Fi signal has to go all the way through the center of the Earth. Yeah. Past... And as we know, there are dinosaurs and, and shit in the center of the Earth. That's right. And they gobble up those radio signals like you wouldn't believe. It's true. Has a lot it's of true. protein, apparently. Sorry, what were you just saying in that in that period where it paused? This is weird because like listeners might actually have heard it with no interruption because it's recording separate tracks for us. But for uh, us recording it, I just missed out like the last twenty seconds of what you were saying. Okay, well, I, I was just saying um, between book three and book four, uh, I basically I wrote four, I think four or five other books. Um, so it, it was a good break to have, but getting back into the mindset and the voice of Esker. Um, was quite difficult for book four. It took it took a bit of a bit of time. Um, I think it was about thirty percent of the way through the book before I actually went. Yeah, okay. I think I'm back in Esker's voice again now. So at that point, I had to go go back and do a bit of editing. How did you manage to get back in? Did you reread the original books? Did you listen to the audio books? What was the process for like reacclimatizing to that world and her voice? I hate rereading my old books. I absolutely hate it. I don't know why. So uh, I I listened to some of the audiobooks. I listened to choice chapters that I thought, yeah, that's quite good. Um, and then, uh, funnily enough, I also listened to Skull Sworn by Brian Staveley, which uh, was one of the yes. one of one of the books that Big inspired, yeah, inspired the whole sort of trilogy, the way that I wanted to write it. it inspired me to do the sort of like the first person um, perspective. So I listened to that again, um, and then I thought, okay, I think maybe I'm ready to, to start trying to get back into it. Um, and then, I mean, yeah, it, it as I say, it took a while. It took about 30% before I felt like I was fully into it again. But just falling back into the voice was, it was quite fun, to be honest, um, getting back into it. But it was also quite changed, because, I mean, Fioresca, 20 years has passed. She's older so. now. Exactly. In fact, she's quite yeah. a bit older, because uh, slight spoilers to events uh time doesn't work right for eska <laughs> she ages a bit faster than she's meant to oh true so, uh, yeah true true the true beginning of sins of the mother she she's actually about 70 years old at least in body even though she's nice. only about 40 years old in actual time spent <laughs> it's all a bit yeah she's weird. lived a hard life eska has she has lived a hard life but, uh, would yeah. you say um because one of the things i loved about the original trilogy was how kind of intricate the magic system was the idea of sorcery where you swallow these different uh stones or crystals and it essentially gives you these very specific powers but also at great cost like for example the one that makes eska kind of age quite rapidly did you find that like limiting or constraining coming back 
into this as book four? Because I'm not sure to what extent, like, did you plan out, you know, oh, I'm going to write five books in this, so I need the magic to be operating in this certain way. Or did you sort of just be like, this is a cool aspect of the magic that I want to do. And then later down the track, you kind of had to contend with how it all fit Um, together, the kind of different puzzle pieces of it. How did that sort of work for you? There's definitely a sort of like, yeah, trying to figure out how it all fits together and working within the system that I've already created. But the... I, I purposefully didn't give all the rules to the system out in like the first three books. There are, there are other things happening um, that you only really get into when it comes to the fourth book. Um, certain things that are mentioned in the first three books but only as passing, like Esker has an innate necromancy, which doesn't, you know, she doesn't need to swallow a, a source for it. To, uh, to to be there uh, that's explored a lot more deeply in books four and the upcoming book five um, so there are there's definitely more to the magic system that I haven't revealed in the first three books that I do start to um, and I, I there are other things that I put in the world which allow me to, to uh, expand upon it um, things like the great eye above the Plaisian Desert, which is this giant eldritch <laughs> eye staring through from another world. Stuff like that. It allows me to yes. um, expand and and play around with the rules and change them a little bit here and there. Yeah, I think that was one of my kind of big revelations I had from when we were talking about uh, your writing of this series two years ago on a different podcast. And you were talking about how Correct me if I'm wrong here because I might be misremembering, but you were talking about how there were a lot of different things where you just kind of wrote it as a almost throwaway detail because it sounded really cool. And then later on in the series, you were like, oh yeah, I can actually like use that and I can incorporate that as a big part of this book. So that's something that I feel myself, I felt myself doing it today when I was writing a scene. I was like, I am putting a lot of scenes in, uh, a lot of things in here that are just could be totally cool, random throwaway pieces of information about the world or could quite easily be spun out into major conflicts in future installments in this series. Was there anything like that for book four that you kind of were like, huh, past Rob was a genius and I'm going to steal this cool idea he had and expand upon it? Yes, all the time. So Can you tell what this is? Is it a spoiler? (laughs) Um, I will try not to spoil... So there are things I can't talk about because, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I the way I work, especially in book one um, of any series, as I am a massive pantser. So I just I just add things that pop into my mind and sound cool. Um, and then it's not until sort of book two onwards where then I have to actually start planning it. And, and suddenly I'm like, oh, shit, I should probably make this actually matter somehow or draw this and this and, this. and sometimes there's that inspirational moment where it all just clicks and I'm like wow I created this back in book one and now in book three it's relevant and it suddenly makes sense um yeah and there's other times the where I'm, yeah there are other times where I'm like okay I mentioned this a while back and I should really try and draw it in and make it matter somehow and I don't know how it's trying to fit the fucking puzzle piece and hammering it in um so there's definitely a lot of that, but in in book four, I I there's obviously the way that 
the way that the story is structured, Esker drops a lot of hints about the future um, throughout uh, the the books. Mm. Um, there's there's loads of little things like even in book one, she she mentions that her her youngest daughter Cyrilef is also known as the monster. Um, and yes. it's it's stuff like that where I come to book four and I'm like, okay, I have to try and make this all work. Um, and there were a lot, a lot of little hints dropped. Uh, perhaps too many. A I lot don't of promises know. Promises that you made in those early books. Yeah, I know. I think I think I'm pulling them all together. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I definitely seems to be, but yeah, there's. Oh God, I, it's really hard to talk about some of the things in Sins of the Marvel without massive spoilers. Um, yeah. That's fair. But it all it all ties back into the, this sort of like this magic system where I mean there's going to be spoilers for books one to three if I'm talking about book four there just is but it all ties back into this this magic system where the the gods the Rand and the Jin are are linked together and um, you know the, they they were trapped in the moons and all sorts it's all it's all just this big sort of mess which I've somehow managed to to weave. <laughs> And it, I'm suddenly I come to book four and book five and I'm trying to untangle it all, so it all just makes perfect sense. Well, the interesting thing I find is that um, I'm very curious to see how you continue the story on because I think you could pretty comfortably. Obviously, you don't want people thinking this because then they won't read book four. But like, you can finish reading book three, and that's a satisfying, complete ending to the kind of story. And that was certainly my experience. So when I got to that and I found that you mentioned at the end of it, oh, like there's another book coming. I was a bit like, huh, okay. I had a satisfying experience with this. I will still continue reading it. I feel like I've ended it some in some fashion. And yeah, I'm always just curious as to stories that kind of do that. Like I think um, particularly in recent years when people are complaining about the dearth of superhero movies, one of the big complaints is that you never really trust the endings that they provide. And, you know, you watch something like Endgame or whatever, and it's a very satisfying finale to that whole kind of series and to a lot of characters' arcs. Uh, and then the universe sort of keeps going on. And I think they managed it well in that instance. But yeah, I'm always curious as to how people manage to achieve that, manage to like give you these satisfying endings along the journey and then kick you off onto new stories that don't feel like you're treading the same ground or just repeating the same things over and over again so yeah was there any concern of that in your mind when you were approaching it or how did you kind of um, think about that i don't know i, I think there's there's going to be a, a an element of it and there are going to be people who who feel that yeah okay the the first three books are a, a very satisfying conclusion and they probably won't come back um even though you know the story's still going on, and I, I think that the way you can achieve that is basically by giving the character or characters a solid emotional conclusion. If if people feel that that the the characters have come to an emotional conclusion, even if there's still other stuff going on in the world that might still happen, they'll they'll feel satisfied. Um. Because I mean that's one of the sort of major things, especially if you're writing sort of I think first person um, perspective, that they want to feel that sort of emotional 
um, gratification, I guess. And f um, from Cold Ashes Risen did kind of do that. Basically, the the bad guy in the conflict that had been set up throughout the first, you know, two books, well, the first three books, um, that was dealt with. And, you know, Eska was in a slightly happier place. Um, and she she dealt yeah, with some of so. her inner demons. <laughs> um, sorry, that that's a, that's one of those little nice. jokes well that played, people sir. who well played. Well played. read it will understand. Um, yeah, so she she dealt with I a lot of reference. <laughs> yeah, um, she dealt with a lot of a lot of that. Um, so I think that's probably why it felt like a satisfying conclusion. Um, and then with with book four, sort of the the problem is how do you then re-establish some of those those sort of like um, conflicts and the like without just repeating some of the you know the, a, a lot of the, uh, the the sort of the elements um, from the first three books and there's always going to be some repeating especially when dealing with emotional consequences because you know emotional scars don't just leave people it doesn't matter if you've sort of resolved them they can still come back and fuck you all over again so yeah it's it's a tough line to walk and I, I don't know but the reception seems to be quite good so far so I think I've managed to walk it we'll see nice we can uh, cut this bit out if you don't want to discuss about it but um, how have you thought in terms of marketing the launch and then how has that sort of gone um, you don't have to give private details if you don't want to but yeah just in as much detail as possible how have you structured the launch have you been running ads for it um what have you been doing to build up hype and promotion around it and that sort of thing just very yeah no, I'm, to I'm happy to talk so i mean sort of strategy has been one of the the sort of biggest things that i i did around the launch is obviously i um i got some new artwork uh done by felix ortiz uh for the hardback editions of the first three books so that was sort of a, a big, um, in many ways, promotional push. It's like, hey, look, fancy new artwork. It's gorgeous. Um, this thing is coming back again. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so I also changed the, the ebook covers uh, around um, to the, the new versions as well. And I mean, I've got, I, I do have uh, Amazon and Facebook ads running for. Uh, the series as well trying to it's mostly trying to push book one again um i'm never really sure how to do uh, how to launch sort of uh, later books in a series uh, you know sort of years after uh the, the releases it's because it's kind of weird the, the the biggest thing you want to be doing is reaching the audience that you already have for books one to three in many ways because you want you know if if you've sold I don't know, pie in the sky numbers, who knows, a thousand copies, you want to be able to reach those, you know, thousand people who have read the first few books and go, hey, here's book four. Um, and that's one of the toughest things because uh, how, how do you do that? Unless they have signed up to your newsletter mm. or are following you on social media, uh, as a self-published author, it's actually very difficult to get hold of those uh, existing readers and say, hey, there's another book. Um, so what you have to kind of hope in many ways is that if they're not signed up to your social media or newsletters, that Amazon's going to do some of the heavy lifting on on your part and say, you you know, to, to readers, you bought these three books, here's a fourth. Um, mm. 
uh, apart from that, it's it's yeah, sort of like just trying to to get onto people's radars, um, and hopefully with the launch of book four, it will it will help push book one as well, and that, that's where most of the ads are focused because. I think with ads, you're mostly focused on garnering new readers rather than drawing readers back in. Yes. Have you lowered the price for that first book to try to get readers in easier? Uh, no, I, I already have it set at uh, the, the lowest price point I can on Amazon. Um, for the Okay, so Amazon has two different uh, levels of, of royalties you can either select the 30 percent uh, royalty level or the 70 percent royalty level if you select the 30 percent royalty level you can go as low as 99 cents and 99 pence you can offer your book dirt cheap um, or if you select the 70 percent royalty level uh you the lowest you can set your book is at 2.99 two dollars 99 or two pounds 99 um and as i don't want amazon taking 70 percent of my profits for no reason I have it set yep. at the seventy cent level, so the lowest I can offer my book is at two ninety nine, um, and that that's a bit of a draw yeah, in cool. itself. You you price book one a bit cheaper than you do the other books in the hope that people will be like, oh well, it's only this much, I'll I'll give it a try, um, and then hopefully you'll hook them in book one, and they'll move on to book two and book three, and you know be willing to spend that little bit extra. This is another bit we can cut out, but do you know what your read-through figures are like for the subsequent books in the series? Um, not exactly. I I think they're between forty and fifty percent from book one to book two, um, which isn't bad, I think. <laughs> um, Who knows with these things? I've yeah, never written a I series, know. so I have nothing to compare it to. I, I don't think that's too bad, um, but it, it it fluctuates on any given day as well. And it also fluctuates from the different formats because because my books are also in Kindle Unlimited. Um, there's the two different formats of there is the paid uh, book sales and there is the Kindle Unlimited page reads book sales. And they have different read through or sell through rates, basically. Um, but yeah, I think from book... Is the Kindle Unlimited easier to sell through? I don't know, to be honest. Um, I would imagine it is because people who are signed up to Kindle Unlimited... Less friction for people to buy. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't It doesn't technically cost them anything. They're already paying that subscription fee. Um, so it doesn't cost them anything to move on from book one to book two. Whereas if you're not on Kindle Unlimited and you buy book one, you then have to buy book two, which is you know, an extra price point. So I would imagine it should be slightly higher, but I, I don't know for sure. Um but I think from like book two onwards, I think I'm at sort of eighty to ninety percent read through rate, which is very good. But then I think if nice. people have awesome. moved on to book two, they're pretty much committed to reading the series by that point. Um, even if they read it just to hate That's it, I have a few people syndrome themselves. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I've had a few people who uh, who have read book one, given it one star, and then gone on to read book two, given it one star, gone on to read book three, given it one star. And they've just hated it the entire way through. Yeah, and I'm like, bizarre. why would you do that to yourself? If you hate the book, don't what are you move doing? on. <laughs> just drop it. Yeah. That is bizarre um, when people do that. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't get it myself. I mean, I, I, I can mean, understand that with... Um, I, I wonder if like, there's I was a just going to say, I can understand aspect. it with like these really... Yeah, I think that's it, right? Because like 
I know people who slog through really like dense kind of, you know, the staples of the fantasy genre series that they maybe don't enjoy, but everyone tells them they have to read or whatever. Like a lot of people slog through that. Um, even if they're not enjoying it. So yeah. You're talking about wheel of time right now, aren't you, sir? Sort of metaphysical. Yes, I am. Which I, <laughs> I read the first book of it, and oh man, like I, it, it was a slog. It was a slog. I understand why some people like it. Yeah, not hating on it. Just for me, it was not a fun six weeks of reading when I had so many other things waiting on my plate that I knew I would enjoy reading and hadn't gotten onto, like Joe Abercrombie's new trilogy, which I've just started reading and is phenomenal. And I'm like, why was I slogging through Wheel of Time when I could have read this instead? Um, I yeah. have that new trilogy. Rant over. <laughs> this isn't about Wheel of Time. I haven't read it yet. Um, but I have just Dude, finished listening to like, uh, either one. I've been sleeping on it for years. Oh, really? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> um, I, I can see That's... why it is so influential to uh, so many, so many books mm. and authors who have come after, basically. Um, and uh, you know, if 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 I feel like it, I'll probably continue with it at some point. Check out the the later books, but uh, fuck, I hated Rand. He was such an annoying prick. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he, he wasn't was even compelling. He was just annoying. <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember it that well. To be honest, it was it was like halfway through last year I read it. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably does suffer from like the the same thing that Lord of the Rings to me had as well, where like if it had been one of the first fantasy books I read, I probably would have loved it. But the problem is that everything that's come afterwards has been massively influenced by this thing, which means that when I get back to the original source material, the source material now feels like it's copying all these other things, <laughs> but it's less innovative and less kind of interesting, which is like... It sucks, right? And like that is, yeah, I can understand why some people would be annoyed at that criticism of it, but that's just what my experience is. And yeah, it's the same as like, if people try to watch the original Star Wars trilogy today, which I've had friends do, and they're like, yeah, it just feels like I'd seen it all before and it's so cliche. And you just want to like, yeah, tell them, no, this was so innovative and this was so unique, but it like no longer is when you're approaching it with the lens of having seen all this stuff that's come after it so yeah, yeah. but um, there's also yeah we the... won't rant too much about wheel of time <laughs> well th there's also the fact that um you, you are looking at it through a more modern lens and it's not just the fact that everything uh, mm. that's come after it has been influenced by it well not everything but so much has come after it's been influenced by it and you'll see those influences but it's also the fact that um things were written differently there were sort of like not just different values but different ways of, of writing back then and I, I can see that a lot in mm. in eye of the world um there are there are things like so many of the the so many of the sort of like the conflicts the tension were there simply because one character didn't talk to another or you know for yeah. no reason <laughs> seemingly absolutely no reason characters just refused to talk to this other character um about mm. something quite important and that created a, a sort of conflict so the, the stuff like that which um you still see these days but you don't quite see so much these days because people have um kind of got sick of it and <laughs> they, they want different ways of sort of conflict um 
And then there's a few other things, like the bad guys at the end just appearing out of nowhere for no reason. Um, yeah. I, I don't think you get that as much uh, these days. Um, but I think back then it was it was a bit more acceptable. Um, but fantasy has sort of changed uh, quite a bit. And that's why a lot of the, the, the sort of like classical tellings of fantasy have much have a more modern feel to them if you look at something like um the ember blade by chris wooding it's a very classical style fantasy but it has freaking a... love that book so oh, I much do too. Um, but it has a very modern feel to it it feels like a blending of this classic yes. and modern styles and i absolutely love that perfect yeah um but i i would imagine it is it's a book that is influenced um, by things like Wheel of Time as well. Um, oh, hugely. Hugely. So, which was in turn... I mean, there's a Moira scene Rings. in it, basically, like in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. It's amazing. Emberblade is a book that lives, like, ridiculously rent-free in my head because, like, just the other day, it just appeared in my brain. And I was like, I haven't read you for three years. What are you doing here? Why am I thinking about you? I don't have you on my bookshelf. I rented you from the library. And yet you are appearing here again just to remind me of how amazing this was. And yeah. Because man, we got to get Chris Wooding on the coming podcast. I would love to have him on. Yes. Well, that's the other thing, right? It's been so long between, between books for I mean, it'll probably be worth it. But yeah, it's just it just felt like that book. Because I'd, I'd never really heard about it from anyone else. I saw it in the library, had a kind of cool cover, picked it up, and then just devoured the whole thing. It's a very and classical uh, fantasy became cover like, as well, actually. Hang on a sec. Maybe the best classical, yeah, kind of fantasy thing I've read. Yeah, yeah so, get the cover up. Um, sorry. Because I, I have the lovely hardcover edition. But if you Google the cover for Emberblade... Oh, lovely. Lovely. It's a, it's yeah, a so really... Rob, maybe just describe the cover for people listening. Okay. Well, um, it's it's a classical style. There are cause there are so many different styles of cover, but this is a very classical um, style, which basically has small characters in the foreground and then big landscape and something in the background, like a you know, in this case, it's a castle um, with you know fires and uh, around it and sort of like birds and all sorts. So um, it's one of those yeah, very very classical styles of cover for epic fantasy. Um, and it hits all the right notes for it, basically. Um, God, I, I've done so much research into covers recently. Uh, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, no, the, it's it's one of those that it does quite well um, at being a very classical fantasy, but with a modern twist. And I think that we're seeing quite a lot of that uh, these days, um, more in the indie sphere than the trad sphere, I think, actually. Um, I think recently uh, a bit of an indie darling Ryan Cahill has released or is releasing a series which has a very it's a very classical style of fantasy with a modern twist to it again or with a modern style to it um, and he's doing very well with it um, and I think that's why because he's sort of tapped into this this audience of people who do want this classical style of fantasy but they they, they don't maybe like the way that it used to be done with things like Eye of the World or Wheel of Time and everything. Yeah, they want it a bit faster paced. Uh, yeah, probably want yeah more interesting conflicts that they haven't seen before, but they want the kind of set dressing to be similar because that is what is so appealing about the genre. Yeah. yeah. I would probably say, I, I should probably reread Ember Blade actually because that's sort of what I'm aiming for with my current book. 
is that yep. sense of like a lot of the kind of tropey like classical fantasy elements like dragons and magic schools and that sort of thing but like a story that is more closer to something like the departed than it is to lord of the rings yeah but in that sort of you know kind of classical setting um well to be honest it's, it's yeah, worth man, rereading anyway because it's there, a fantastic like book <laughs> yeah that's probably where i've come to to be honest also because <laughs> book two I'm is coming soon for research purposes yeah um no, funnily enough uh this was one of the books that uh, helped inspire me when I was planning to write my epic fantasy, which I'm going to be releasing next year. Herald, book one, Age of the God Eater. Nice. Um, oh, heck but yeah, that that was one of those uh, those books that I was sort of reading it, um, and along with uh, what else? Uh, the Faithful and the Fallen by John Gwynn, um, and uh, mm. who who was also a guest? List. Haven't read it yet. Uh, previous guest to. of our podcast. Um, and a previous and, episode of this podcast. Yes. And I was also so listening to Stormlight well, Archive because we mentioned the time. him before. Yeah, he was, yeah. Nice. Um, nice. Because, you know, uh, when I'm planning to write something something like that, I, I do tend to sort of like think, okay, uh, let's, let's read or listen to books that are in the sort of similar genre and style that I'm, I'm shooting for. So with writing, mm. you know, Eska, I was like, yeah, Skull Swarm by Brian Staveley, um, Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence, those sorts of books. Um, and then if, you know, when writing, wanted to write an epic fantasy, I was like, okay, let's read some epic fantasies. And I, I find that's quite useful to get your brain in the mindset of writing that sort of style, basically. Um, so uh, I should probably read more progression fantasy considering I'm, I've been writing a progression fantasy recently. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. So we should probably wrap this up here. Uh, before we finish, just to tie it back to Sins of the Mother, which we got very tangented from, but I enjoyed the discussion. It's the name of the show anyway. Um, what was your favorite thing about returning to Esker's world and to that character? Uh, oh, favorite thing? I don't know. Maybe it was including a character in Sins of the Mother called Jed. Hey! Oh yeah, I remember Miho telling me about this. I can't wait to see who I am. Do I die a horrible death? <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> nice, nice. I, I like putting I my wait. friends in uh, in my books, but they will always die. Um, That's probably it. says more about me than it does anybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Strangled to death by his podcast recording microphone. <laughs> yeah. I think my favourite thing about returning to um, the world was... Um, being in 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 Esker's sort of like head and her voice again while it was quite difficult and it's very challenging at times um she's incredibly fun to write as at times as well um because uh, she she makes no uh no apologies about the fact that she she's a bit of a bitch and she takes no shit so uh yep very blunt <laughs> very brash and that's yeah. fun because most people aren't like that in real life so it's very satisfying yeah, I think it's chapter two where she kicks the guy in the shins uh, just because he clears his throat at her and she doesn't like it. So <laughs> She's an old lady at this point. Were you writing that in like a cafe that day and someone was coughing behind you? <laughs> I can't write in cafes. I kind of wish I could, but there's too much noise. Really? I, yeah, I need silence to write. Um, I can't do it when there's like noise everywhere. Funnily enough, these are my noise-canceling headphones. Do you listen to music? Uh, yeah, 
No, well, I, I, I occasionally listen to uh, instrumental scores when I'm writing action scenes. Um, you know, yeah, me too. Something like yeah, I, I tend to listen to things like Hans Zimmer. Um, you know, there's that uh, classic piece from the beginning of Gladiator that, that, that when there's you know the Romans and the the Germanic so barbarians good. facing off that that instrumental score is just ah gorgeous. Um, but most of the time, I reserve music for the the dreaming phase, basically when I'm sort of like trying to come up with ideas Interesting. or when I'm trying to pull together plot threads or, or whatever. Because I'll I'll do things like I'll just I'll go for a walk or more often than not just pace up and down the house um, with my headphones on, listening to music, and it kind of occupies the body and lets the brain go into that state of okay, just working in the background and trying to figure things out. Mm. Um, which I find quite useful for for the dreaming aspect of things, I guess, for the plotting aspect. And occasionally uh, something's happened, like um, I'll hear a, a lyric and something will just like explode in my mind and it will just take root. Um, it's a fun story, but uh, as, as I say, next year I'm releasing Herald, book one, Age of the God Eater. Um, and the entire series that entire that entire world that series all came exploded from a single line in a song uh by the band rise against Ooh. and uh it's just my hands are soaking in the blood of angels which nice. is a fucking epic line uh and the There's entire series just line for a series exploded out of my head from that yeah. one line basically um and that sometimes epic. that happens and it's 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 glorious it's like it's that moment yep. of pure creation where you just enter into that that state of just like your mind just going blah, 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 so many things just like popping off here and there and it's just creating a world um, as you're thinking about it. I love it. Awesome, man. All right. Well, uh, since the mother is out now, I'll put a link down below if you want to check that out. Um, I can't wait to read it personally. So very very keen. Uh, thank you for listening or watching to the podcast and we will see you next week. Bye, Goodbye. everybody.